This is David's Game Show. David, darling, I've got something terrible to say. What? You, 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 you've, you've, you've said? Just shut up. What I've got to say is that I hate, no, I, you already know I hate your show. Yeah, in fact, wait, are you going to say that you've got your first episode of your own podcast to rival this podcast ready, that one about the behind the scenes of how horrible I am on this show? No, no, I was going to give that to you and shame you, but instead all I've got to say is Uncle Craig is missing. What? He's gone? Yeah, the only thing left of of him is his stench. I don't know where he's gone. But he doesn't leave this room. You're right. I didn't notice he wasn't here, I guess because it's so thick in here, the air. But I didn't even, like, where did he go? He doesn't leave. He doesn't do anything. That's what makes it so terrible. I'm really worried. I think you'd better call the police. (sighs) All right. G'day, everyone. Welcome to episode 10 of my game show and if you haven't been here before it's not a game show but it's about games it's a show about games that was just the name i thought of and i didn't think it through i'm sorry anyway welcome back um if you don't know this show is all about board games i think i just said that and i do a review every week and then i talk about three other games that that review reminded me of and then i'll do question and answers if i got any questions today i've got some very special segments too about my year in reviews not really i'm going to talk about my h index if you don't know what that is stay tuned because you're going to love it i promise well i don't promise but you might like it and i'll tell you my game of the year which actually i know this isn't selling it but it's a bit boring my decision but anyway i hope your summer's going well this was recorded on january 20 2023 (laughs) and uh Have a good one or something. I'll be back in two seconds. So when I was compiling my H index, which I I should explain just briefly what that is. That's a number. H stands for happy. All right. And so this number is how happy I am and I'm 27 happy. What that actually means is I have played 27 games at least 27 times based on the plays I've actually recorded on Board Game Geek. I mean, I've played many games more than that, but I just didn't record it because I was little or I forgot or whatever, or I didn't care. So, um, but at least of what I've played, recorded, I've played 27 games 27 times, so my H index is 27. If you've played five games at least five times, your H index is five. I'll talk about that later. But one game that almost made it, I've played it like 23, 24 times, I think, is Lost Ruins of Arnak. So I thought, I haven't really talked about this on the show. I'll quickly talk about it. I won't do a huge long review because it isn't a new game. It's from 2020, I believe. It was published by uh, Czech Games Edition, commonly known as CGE. I'm just looking up. Ruins of Arnak now because I realized I'm running out of my knowledge of the game. I'm sure it came out in 2020. Yeah. It's by Elwin and Min. I forget the actual, that's like their pen names. I think they're, they're a man and a woman. I don't know if they're a designated couple. I forget. But Elwin and Min or Min and Elwin and Min. And um, 
what this is is yeah but it's it's not brand new so a lot of you probably have, have know about it but I'll, I'll just talk about it okay just deal with it and to make this a bit different i'll talk about the expansion a bit too um i've actually played it where are my plays on it? 25 times. Okay, so if I play it at least two more times this year and don't play the games above it, I might get to this on the H index next year. All right. Um, it says it takes 30 to 120 minutes to play, so that's 30 minutes per player. I guess that's close to correct. I doubt many games will ever go to two hours, though. I, I'd more think this would be about an hour average, 45 minutes to an hour and 15, that sort of span. It's for one to four players. Uh, and basically what this is is a mix of a worker placement game and a deck building game. And also in 2020, we got June Imperium, which was a similar mix. I mean, there's other games that have mixed it too. I think like um, well, off the top of my head, doesn't um, Great Western Trail do that? Probably a couple of others. But these two hit in a big way in 2020. June Imperium was nominated for Kenneth Spiel Desires this past year and Arnak was the year before. And... Um, so they've both done really well. It's currently ranked 29 on BGG as the best game of all time, 29th anyway. There you go. Um, so I won't go into too much detail about how you play, but I'll do it a little. Basically, you've got a deck. Um, each turn you'll draw five cards, and unless you play cards that give you more effects to draw more cards, that's all you'll get. So doing a big deck isn't doesn't mean you're going to see those cards, but you might still buy it. For various reasons um on your turn you got two workers i guess you'd call them two expeditioners and they're basically going on an expedition through this jungle to find the lost ruins of arnak um, on your turn you've got a few things you can do one thing you can do is visit a site um, there are some already printed on the board that are easy to get to um, obviously because they're printed on the board you can just go there if you pay play a card that has a, an icon in there that shows the right form of travel you're using to get there. So if the easy space has a boot icon on there, you need to play a card that has a boot icon or something better than a boot. There's a little tech tree on what transport can replace other transport. Um, then you put your figure there and then you get what it says you get. You might get some arrowheads, you might get some inscriptions, some tablets, you might get some coins, some compasses, which keep keep calling them clocks that's what they look like you might get rubies rubies are the best or sort of the most interesting thing to find they're hard to get um another thing you can do is you can discover a new site so this is an interesting game in that every game uh most of the sites that you can visit with your workers are not known to you at the start of the game at least you don't know where they're going to be so when you go to an unknown spot, you'll have to pay a certain amount of compasses. You'll also have to pay that transport cost by playing a card to your discards. Then you have to put one of your two figures there. You'll then get some idols, some tokens that give you points and or items. And then you'll randomly draw a new spot, a tile to put on that spot that will also give you things. It's a new worker placement spot. That's pretty cool, right? So you're exploring the map as you go. And that spot will be there for the rest of the game for other people to use too. Problem is when you first discover a spot, you have to put a guardian um, tile on top of it too, sort of a mythical beast that's guarding this place. And if you are still on that spot before you get rid of the guardian, at the end of the round, when you move away, you'll get a fear card, which is basically, it clogs up your deck and it's negative one points at the end of the game although it does have a boot icon on it. 
So another thing you can do besides going to a, an old spot, going to a new spot, is to defeat a guardian. And these guardian tiles have icons on them of things you have to pay to get rid of this guy or girl. I don't know. They're just all scary things. These guardians all give you five points, but they also probably give you a, an ongoing benefit or a one-time use benefit too. So they're good to get rid of. Um, another thing you can do is buy a card. So there's sort of one row of cards. Um, it starts off because there are five rounds in the game. It starts off with, no, six, yeah, five rounds in the game. It starts off with five, one artifact card and five tool cards. But each round, um, some of those cards will get wiped if they're not bought, but you get one more artifact than tool. So in round two, there'll be two artifact cards and four tools and three artifacts and three tools. The difference is that artifact cards you have to pay for in compasses, tool cards you have to pay for in money. Each card gives you a point value for the end of the game. If you buy an artifact, you put it down in front of you immediately and do what it says, which is cool. But when it gets shuffled back into your deck, if it comes out, if you want to play that again, you'll have to pay a tablet, an inscription thing which is expensive. Um, if you buy a tool, it goes on top of your draw pile. So you'll definitely get it next round, unless you have a card effect. Um, because the next thing you can do on your turn, you might choose to play a card. You might play a card from your hand that says draw a card, and then you'll get that card immediately. Um, the last thing you can do on your turn is besides pass is research. And this basically means you'll move either your magnifying glass or your journal up a track. Um, it often splits in different directions it's basically a track but it's trying to be thematically a temple the ruins that you're exploring you've got two and depending on the the magnifying glass in the book and depending on where they will end at the end of the game you'll get points for them depending on how far they've gone in the temple but your book can never go past your magnifying glass so it's sort of a seesaw thing or you're just going to commit to one the difference is that when you get to each spot in the ruins track your magnifying glass will earn a benefit but your book will earn different benefits and you're trying to move them up uh, in the most cost effective quick manner possible one thing you'll definitely get as you go up these tracks is assistance um, you can have no more than three assistants in a game. These can be upgraded and used at any time. They give you special bonuses. You can also use those idols you collected for end game points or special bonuses during the game. That's basically it, right? And when I first played it, I was like, this is cool, but I don't get it. It's certainly beautiful. Um, it looks like a Kickstarter, uh, but you know it's not a Kickstarter because it has coins in the game and they're not metal. Haha. <laughs> but it's a stunning game to look at. It's got a massive board. It feels pretty thematic. It's just not too quick, not too complicated, but very meaty. And it's a game that leaves you wanting to do better each time, right? But when I first played it, I was like, I don't see what the buzz is. It's just a bit of deck building, a bit of worker placement. That's cool. But it's pretty aimed towards moving up this track and... Uh, just resource management. But the more I played it, the more I absolutely fell in love with it and why I'm not exactly sure, except that it's just a great package. It's so well designed. It's gone to near the top of my list of games that I like to play that are worker placement and or deck building. It's that simple. It's just a great example of its type. Um, I'll talk about the expansion a sec in a sec. But let's just rate this game with my Lafardo method. So if you didn't know, Lafardo stands for uh, L is LAF is look and feel. Um, A is adaptability. 
how good it is at different player counts. Replayability is the R. How replayable is it? What's next? L, learning learning curve is what I say. Like, how easy is it to learn from the rules? But it's not lafarkado, so maybe I should just say learnability. But I don't know if that's a word. Then the D is design. How good is it as a design? I just said this one was pretty good. And then O overall, how much do I want to play it? So Lafardo, look and feel. This gets definitely a 9 out of 10 at least for look and feel. Um, it's funny, you know it's a good production when people are going all out to replace the cardboard bits. So the compasses and coins are cardboard in the game, but everything else is beautiful plastic molded beautiful, beautiful pieces. The arrowheads sort of glisteny blue and they look chiseled out of plastic. The tablets look really cool like some ancient script is written on them. The rubies are really nice and chunky. You know, if it'd get a 10 out of 10 if the compasses and coins were plastic or metal as well, but I don't care besides, you know, we should look after the environment a bit maybe. What am I saying? But definitely a 9 out of 10 for look and feel. Everything's big. Everything's easy to understand icon, iconography-wise. Just really good. Um, adapt. Is that next look and feel? Adaptability. So this game plays one to four. I've played it at all player counts. I think my favorite could be three. The pure reason for that is that at four, you don't, there's more competition for spots, but more spots come out. So it sort of evens out, but it just gets, it's a bit longer. That's all. Three is a really sweet spot for this game. Two is, is fine. Totally fine. It's just that the race up the ruins track isn't as scary is that the word like you've probably got more time to go up that track it's fine though really this game does really well the solo mode is pretty cool there's there's a pile of tiles 10 tiles so the ai always does 10 turns and when you flip it it does an action that sort of blocks up the board and takes things away from you um and and at the end of the game you've got to have more points than it's got and stuff that's not that Amazing, but the cool thing is you can swap out at least half of those tiles for more complicated or, or more difficult versions. So you could play like level zero is just all green colored tiles, but you can go up to like level five with a difficulty, which is five red ones mixed in. That's cool. Um, the only issue with the solo is you know exactly what the bot or whatever is going to do. You just don't know the order it's going to do it. So as you play it more, you get better at beating it. Um, but I give that uh, a nine out of ten as well because I would play would play it at any play count. Um, adaptability, look and feel, adapt, replayability, really high. Obviously, I've played it twenty four times. I will say though that the expansion, if you add that in, makes this a nine or ten out of ten. Um, as it is, I'd, I'll still give it an 8 out of 10 for replayability. It comes with two different sides of the board. So once you've gotten used to the basic side of the board, you can flip it and now the spots to put your workers on have different costs and the track, the temple track is totally different. So that's nice. Um, uh, replayability. Yeah, there's plenty of games in here if you like it. Uh, La Faro, the learning curve, learnability. Uh, the, look, the rule book's beautifully done. It's really big in that everything's, it takes its time to tell you with many illustrations what you're doing. It still has a few tricky rules that I needed to play the game to figure out, like the order of things happening and 
the first time you play, you forget some rules that are different about it to other deck building and worker placement games. For example, you only have two workers. That's quite, you can't remove them unless there's a special effect that does that. And often early on in games, I know people accidentally move them around because I think that's a bit weird. Also, you only draw five cards and that's basically it. If your deck runs out during your turn, you don't shuffle and, and add more, stuff like that. So there's a lot of timing and weirdnesses around that, but they're actually really well designed and thought out at the end of the day. So learning curve, I'll say, is a seven or so. If you've played other medium weight games, this should be okay for you. But if it was my first, I would have had issues learning it from the rule book alone, I think. Um, design. Now, overall, like, it's hard to give a design a 10 out of 10. Really, is it perfect? It's hard to know. But for what it is, it's practically perfect. I, you could improve it, but there's no holes. There's no issues. I'll give it a 9 out of 10. I think it's just really well done. I think these designers haven't really done much else. I'll, I could check. But, you know, for their first big game anyway, I, I think really well done. I'm jealous. I think they've done a great job. Um, yeah, they haven't really designed anything else. So maybe it took 10 years to design. I don't know. But uh, good on them. Oh, yeah, they're married. Elwyn, Min and Elwyn. It's Michaela... Min Stakova and sorry, I'm Googling as you listen. I forget his name, Elwin something. That's all they've done and good on them. I think it's a great design. Overall, I give this a 9.25 out of 10. Now, why 9.25? I just wanted to put it in my top games of all time. I think if I give a game a 9 out of 10, it means I want to play it all the time. But this is even one more a bit above that. It's in my top echelon of games I enjoy playing. When I pull it out, I just find it really beautiful and engaging and not over long and just just great, smooth playing. And I always feel at the end, ah, oh, next time I'll do that better. So that's great, isn't it? Just briefly, its expansion is one of the best expansions I've ever played with. It adds more cards. It adds more sites to um, discover. It adds more guardians. It adds more idols. It adds more assistance. But the main thing it adds, oh, and it adds a replacement card and tile for two things that they tweaked, which is cool. But the main thing it adds is six new asymmetric starting characters. So you don't start with the same hands of cards. You all start with some something different. You can choose these randomly or on purpose. There's a captain who only has one, no, three. He has three uh, archaeologist figures, so he can do three worker placements. Um, there's a falconer who has a bird, and when you do certain actions, the bird moves along this little track, and you can unlock sort of superpowers. The bird gets you stuff, basically. There's a baroness who's got a lot of money. Um, oh, I forget what her special thing is, though. Does it really matter at this point? I think oh, you could put cards you buy straight into your hand, stuff like that. She's got influence. There's a professor who's really good at getting the artifacts. He he has a bag where you can put tablets and, and, and uh, compasses to buy lots of those cards. Um, he's really good at getting lots of cards. Explorer has only one worker, but ways to move that around multiple times. Um, on a round, but and and there's a mystic who uses those fear cards 
Uh, he sort of burns them to do mystic spells to make cool things happen. Um, that was a quick overview. They're, they're actually really asymmetric. They have starting hands that are particular to them, special powers that are particular to them, um, and they really mix it up. Uh, it, the, the, just as good as that, though, is that the expansion comes with two new ruins research tracks that you lay over the top of the others on the board, and they are so different. They really mix things up, and I would not play without them again, possibly, unless I was teaching the game. It does suggest if you're going to use the asymmetric powers to definitely use one of the new ones because they're a bit more difficult. But I just love it. I can't talk about Arnak enough, and I've already talked about it for 18 minutes and 14 seconds, which is 10 minutes more than I was expecting to. But I guess if you already know about it, you could have skipped this. So, meh. So I'm just going to quickly talk about three games that I thought uh, did something similar for me that Arnett did. But I'll do this quick because the review went long, even though this is the more fun segment. Sorry about that. Deal with it. Write a complaint letter to my new email address, hellodavidsgameshow at gmail.com. And complain. But so am I going to talk about three games that are worker placement games? No. I'm going to talk about three games that are deck building games? No. Am I going to talk about three games that are hybrids? <gasps> no. I'm going to talk about three games that I didn't really like the first time I played it, but I've known and grown to love them. Oh, just like Arnak. You know, sometimes you play a game and you're like, meh, I don't get it. But that's not when you review it. That's not when you judge it. You've got to play it two or three times at least. I find, before you get what the game is doing. You've got to have a learning game. That's my opinion. You don't have to agree to it. Um, so, what? okay, so here's the first one, Azul. Now, the first time I played Azul, I gave it a 6 out of 10. It was just out, getting buzz. I didn't get it. I had many other abstract games I preferred, like Blockus, um, Ingenious, um, all the GIF games, but I didn't get it. And then I played it again. I was like, okay. Gave it a seven. Played it again. Okay. Gave it an eight. The interactions there are really nice. It's quick. It's a bit wonky to learn, um, but it, it's it's a purely well-designed game that works well at any play account and has real nice crunchy decisions in it. So that was a game I didn't like much at first, but now I love. Next one, uh, Russian Railroads. So when this came out in 2013 or 14, maybe, it was also getting lots of buzz. I couldn't help it. I got it. And then I played it and I was like, this is just a stock standard worker placement game. But the more I played it, the more its strategies and options just blossomed in front of me. And, and it's now one of my all-time favorites, similar to Arnak in that it's just so well designed. And it's so fun. Um because it's one of those games where in the first round you get three points and in the fifth round, fourth round, you've built up to getting 105 points. It, it's just got that nice sort of an engine build to it. It's not an engine builder, but it's a worker placement game where you're making train tracks. <laughs> but I just find it really sweet and fun to see that build. And there's so many different um, ways to mix it up, especially with the expansions. Oh, I just love that one. But at first it was like, meh. And the third one that I didn't like right away is a bit of a cheat because it's brand new. And I, when I say I didn't like it, I mean before I got it. So it's Milfiori, which is a new 
game by Reiner Knizia. It's a big box game, but it's really not a heavy game at all. Um, in this game, you, it's got card drafting where you play a card and put a diamond out on a spot, and based on where you put it, you'll earn points. It's very point salady. Um, but there's what like I just thought the box looked dull and boring. The the board looked confusing and boring. And even after I'd watched a couple of videos because I was intrigued, I just thought it just looks boring. It just looks nothing like boring but the, it just dwelled on my mind and the more I thought about it I thought I'd give it a go and I saw it on sale because probably everyone's thinking it looks boring and it just blew me away it was amazing it's so simple but so satisfying so few components and rules but so chunky in what you can do on a turn I just found it a combo tastic point salad paradise so I'm glad I got it and that's three games I didn't like. Thank you so much for coming, Officer. Um, um, my name's Officer Pete. That did not just roll off the tongue easily then, did it? No, I had to make it up. But that's because I'm undercover. I don't want anyone to know who I am or what I do. But you're a police officer. Yeah, but you can know. But I don't want anyone else to know, okay? All right. Is that also why you're disguising your voice? Yeah. All right. So um, thanks for coming, Officer Pete. Um, it, it's my producer. She lives with me. What? Well, like I do a game show. Oh, can I enter? No, it's not that sort of a game show. It's it's a show about games, not a game show. You, Not a contest. What? Look, it doesn't matter, Pete. Um. My producer wanted you to come because her uncle is missing. What's that your business? Well, what, what does that matter? I he, Well, actually, he does live here. What? Yeah, look, move off from that. Um, I don't get it either, but could you please look for the, the... The the uncle? Yeah. All right, where's your producer? Oh, I'm here and I'm devastated. Could you uh, settle down, miss, and tell me... Uh, uh, I'm Officer Pete... Can you tell me uh, what he looked like? And then I could look for him better. Well, uh, 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 yeah, sorry, my throat just went a bit funny there. Oh, I think I was channeling um, Uncle Craig. So his name's Craig? Yeah. And he's your uncle? Yeah. What does he look like? Well, he's really big. Yeah, that's right, Officer Pete. He's really, really big. Okay, he's big. How big? Well, if he was a car, he'd be a really big car. What, like a limousine? No, like a truck. Oh, so he's not a car, he's a truck. Well, he's not either, but if he was a car, he'd be a truck. That's how big he is. Okay. And like if he was a house, he'd be a big house. What, like a mansion? Yeah. So I'm looking for a man the size of a mansion? How did you lose this guy? No, he's not that big. So I'm just saying he is big. For a person, he's big. Like for a house, a mansion is big. Okay. And if he was like a park, he'd be a really big park. Uh, like a national park? No, not that big. Okay, like a, a big park? Yeah. So I'm looking for a man the size of a park. No, no, no. I'm just saying he's big. But uh. So how'd you lose him then? 
Well, I don't know. He just disappeared. He just left. Uh, is there any reason why, like, he would want to leave and not come back? No, like, he, he's never left for anything. I don't even know why he'd want to leave here. He's got a great life here. Yeah, he does. Uh, maybe he left to get salad. No. Uh, maybe he left to get meat. Yeah, maybe. But we do have meat here. Uh, maybe he left to get something to cook the meat in. What, like a pan? Yeah, or oil. Maybe, but we've got those things. Okay, look, well, what I'm going to do is start looking for a really big guy near a supermarket, and I'll report back soon. All right, thanks, Uncle Pete. No, I'm Officer Pete, but don't tell anyone. So, before I talk about my H index, I want to talk about my game of the year. So every year on my BGG user profile page called Huffer2, that's my profile name, that's my username, I list my game of the year. And it's just, it's dumb. No one's ever noticed it. But I just did it as a way to remember the year. It doesn't mean the game came out in that year. It doesn't mean... It was the best game of that year. It was just what really defined that year for me. I only started in 2013 and I'm not, I purposely don't do games I had something to do with in it's their development or design or something like that because that would mean it would just be 10 of those games. In 2013, my game of the year was Android Netrunner. It really defined my year. The best parts of that year gaming-wise was going to a tournament or to playing regularly on Thursday or Friday at a game shop in the city. That really defined that year for me. 2014 was Coup because I played it like 50 times. It's a little bluffing game and it came out all the time and it was so much fun. 2015, my game of the year was Tamanichi Domostwo, which later was re... That's Polish. I hope I said it okay. That That's um now known as Mysterium. But I had the original edition, and I still much prefer the original edition's rules, but I got it. That I got rid of it and got the new one because the new production's just way better. And the, you can play the old game with the new game, you know. 2016 was Dweebies, which is a little kids game by Australian designer from Game Right. We just played it all year. 2017 was Jump Drive, a spin-off game of Race for the Galaxy by Tom Lehman. You'll be hearing about this again later in the episode. 2018, my game of the year was number nine. That's NMBR9. It's one of my favorite tile laying stacking games. Um, it's an abstract, really great though. I've played that many times. 2019 was Trendy, an old, old Kinesia card game, but we played that constantly at home. It was so much fun. 2020 was My City, which was Kinesia's legacy game. The first time, you know, my family regularly played games was to get through that, and we enjoyed it. That took most of the year too. 2021 was Crokinole, because I finally got a board, a dodgy one, but it's been so much fun. It really defined that year. So what was 2022's game of the year? Well, I said it was a bit boring. It's jump drive again. <laughs> I didn't really have a game that 
stood out other than that because I played it 25 times through the year, which is a lot, right? I mean, it's only a five, 10 minute game, but that was the only thing that really stood out to me. I think 2022 at this point will not go down as one of the great new game years. Although I've played a couple in the last week or two that were amazing, which I'll talk about at a future time. But overall, it was not a massive year for me, but Jump Drive was there every month to play a few times and it's one of my favorites and if you like quick engine building card games i really recommend it so my game of 2022 was jump drive so let's look at my h index for a bit of fun i said before what that is if you skip that bit basically it's a number that determines how many games you played at least the same number of times as the number of games so what that means is if you've played five games at least five times your h index is five happy index for you mine's 27 because i've played at least 27 games 27 times and every year i just add my plays to a geek list in BGG and update it just for fun. It's a bit annoying. I don't like it. It's a bit dorky, but once you've started, it's a bit hard to finish it, right? Right. Yes. So my let's just go through these 27-ish games just for fun. I, I won't talk about them in detail. Just you'll you'll learn if you want to, if you care, what sort of gamer I am from these things, right? You'll see what I spend my time doing. 27. A game I've played 27 times, Russian Railroads. So I just talked about this. If you want to play along, the H-Index uh, geek list is on BGG. You could probably search it, Huffer 2's H-Index with an exclamation mark. The geek list number is 266893. Did you write that down? Good. So 27, Russian Railroads. Um, I've only – so, Yeah. I've played it 27 times since it came out in 2013. Um, it's I did play it online a few times as well. It's got a really good solo mode. It's got it's just great at any player count. I love the German Railroads expansion. Love it. One of the best expansions. And I wish I had the American Railroads mini expansion one day. This is a game I hope I play many times every year. Okay, 26th. This, I've also played 27 times, the game. Now, if I put this slightly ahead of Russian Railroads on the list because if you count the game Extreme, which is the same game, just a bit harder, I've played it probably 37 times, um, but that's got the plays against that listing. But the game is a game, uh, it's a card game, uh, it's a co-op, it's a game when, when you play it, you're like, I wish I could have invented that. That's pretty obvious and fun and why didn't I? Basically, you've got a hand of cards, you can't talk about what hand, what's in your hand, but you as a group are trying to play your cards in order on two piles ascending, on two piles descending, trying to get all the cards from basically one to a hundred out on the table. This is by the same, no, it's not by the same designer as The Mind, but it predates it by a year or two and clearly influenced that. I just love this game. There's so much laughter when we play it um, because you're not allowed to say what's in your hand, but you can say things like, I'd love to play on that pile. And we start sounding like we're falling in love with certain piles or we just like certain piles. And uh, But it's really hard. 
game 25 i've played this game um sorry i'm scrolling scrolling uh 27 times as well um this game is carcassonne i only played it i didn't play it at all last year which is really sad um when i first played this i thought gee this is like a puzzle that we're all doing together and i still love it very much i love many expansions that have come out for it it's something I will play any time, but it's getting harder to find people to want to play it. It's a game I will never leave, lose. Um, next, I've played this 28 times. I haven't played it since 2019, but <laughs> that's Blockus. When I first started getting into hobby games, this was the second or third game I ever bought. My brother already had it. It's a great abstract. We used to have fun with this. People knock it at two and three players, but I still love it at two and three players. It's best at four for sure. Um, if you don't know this game, you're trying to play more pieces than other people before the space on the board runs out, basically. Um, really nice game. It's now put out by Mattel. You can get it anywhere. 23 is Spyfall. I also haven't played this since 2019, but I've played it 29 times. This was huge when it came out. Um probably I'm guessing 2016 something somewhere around there this was fake artist goes to New York New York the deduction game whereas we're not drawing something we're talking about something and trying to figure out who doesn't know what we're talking about this was so big everyone had a copy but now I think everyone sold or traded their copies away so it's really hard to get it played I would play it again I found it pretty broken with new groups there were people that just didn't understand what they were meant to do and so spies looked like they weren't spies and spies looked like they were and non-spies looked like ugh. but when you play it with a group that knows what they're doing hilarious fun trying to guess who the spy is at the location we're all at but he doesn't or she doesn't know where we are 22 is dweebies which i talked about before in my games of the year this came out oh 10 years ago it's a card game from game right it's a really simple kids card game but it's really well done for what it does played it 29 times haven't played it since 2021 may not play it again because there's no one in my house who's five years old but i really recommend it 21 i've played this 29 times but not for a few years is adaman this is a solo game that you play with the deck tet if you haven't heard of the deck tet um it's a deck. There are a few decks out there that aren't the common stock, stock standard uh, deck of cards. This one's trying to do something different. I forget how many cards are in the deck, but half as many, say 40, less than a normal deck. There are still suits, but the cool thing about it is most cards have more than one suit, which is simple but amazing in what gameplay comes out from that. Adaman was a game I played many times as a solo on the deck tet. I love it. I'm going to have to get back into the deck tet. When I was new to the deck tet, I did heaps of researching about the different games you could play. It's basically, think of being able to play games that feel like traditional card games, but with multi-use cards all the time because of those different suits on most of the cards. It's really cool. It's a really cool thing. There's hundreds of public domain games using the deck tet. It should have made the designer famous, but it didn't. It's a bit hard, you know. It's like putting out something called Mogic the Gathering, you know, who's going to play it? But it's so clever, and I really recommend it. 
there's I love the Hanafuda deck as well, but Deck Tet is my jam. That's what some people I don't my jam. I recommend it. Twenty is Star Realms. I've played this thirty three times. I last played it in twenty twenty one. I've run out of people that like it, uh, or if they've burnt out on it, probably is the way to say it. Um, super simple deck building game. One of the best pure deck building games I've played. If you like combos, you'll love this, I think. I wish I could play it more, but everyone's a bit burnt on it. 19 is Kingdom Builder. I've played this 34 times. Only played it once in 2022. That's not good enough. Um, I've talked about this before. It could be my favorite game. It's just so expandable, so replayable, so adaptable, so different. It just feels like home when I play it. Strike comes next with 34 plays. And I've played it a few times already this year, actually. This is a dice chucking game. It's a bit random, but it's so much fun. It takes five minutes to play. I really love it, but not everyone does. 17 is It's a Wonderful World. This is an engine building card drafting game. I've played it 35 times. Many of those are actually solo. I'm going to have to pull it out again for multiplayer play, but... <sighs> I've said this before, I've got the big box from a Kickstarter and it's just too big. There's just too much going on. I think if I'm serious about this game, I'm either going to have to get the original edition to take around to places to play or swap it because the big box isn't getting played. There's some cool expansion stuff in there. Don't get me wrong. It's really cool. But what I love about It's a Wonderful World is just the base game and it's too much to carry around. Wonderful, super quick I love deck building games. I mean, card drafting. I love both of them. It's a good game. 16 is Clask. Great, great, great dexterity game. Probably my second favorite after Crokinole. I've played it 36 times, but I haven't played it since 2020 because we've worn out my board. I have to get a new one and, and figure out there's, there's threads online how to make it less liable to scratch up, scuff up after 30 plays. It's a bit squeaky to play on now, not as smooth. I'm going to get it again and take care of it from the beginning because it's so great. But for now, mine's just up in the cupboard. I really recommend this two-player dexterity game. Speaking of which, 15 is Crokinole. Played it 36 times. Oh, I didn't say. This is all as of January 1, 2023. I've actually played some of these since, but this is from then. So Crokinole is could be... Like I said, Kingdom Build is probably my favorite game. This could be my second. The, one of the most amazing games, so great as a dexterity game, but when you play it, you feel like you're playing a classic, like it's 170 years old. But it, it's beautiful. It's, it's, a, it's a discussion piece, but like a really nice chess board or something, it's something you can put in your house if you've got the room and play it anytime with anyone, but get better at it. There's just so much to this. If if I had the people that wanted to play it and I had a beautiful board, this would be my lifestyle game. I would play it every day. Crokinole. 14 is One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Played it 38 times. And until 2022, I'd only played it 31 times. It came back in 2022 had a few sessions with One Night Ultimate Werewolf again, played it seven more times. One of the best straight deduction games there are out there. This used to be huge for us when we'd have five, six, seven people at a game night. 
all the time, much less now, but often that it comes out now, but it's still a great one. 13, Pathfinder Adventure Card Game, Rise of the Rune Lords. Played this 38 times. That's how long it, that's how many plays it took to explore the base set and then get through the whole six set um, storyline. This was my guilty pleasure in that it reminded me of playing RPGs as a kid, but it was a more a card game deck building thing. Nice story to it, but I've sold it now. I don't think I need to come back to it, but it was a fun, lifestyle-y, guilty thing for me. When I say guilty, I mean I don't have any other games like this. I don't seek them out, but I got this one and really enjoyed it, despite its flaws. So that will go down the list, although it's on 38 plays, so it's going to stay there for a while. Number 12 is the Castles of Burgundy. I've played this 39 times, only once in 2022. This is one of the few games that my wife plays with me, and, yeah, I like it because of that, but it's probably my favourite Stefan Fell design up there with Amerigo and uh, a couple of others, Bruges. It's just a fantastic game, a classic, a modern classic, even though it's probably 10 years old. Check it out if you haven't played it. It's a bit long, but it's so simple and sweet and chunky and delicious. Sounds like a picnic bar. 11 is Fast Forward Fear. So a few years ago, Freedom and Freeze uh, put out a few card games that had no rule book and you learnt them as you went, but basically you could it could have just come with a rule book because the rules just come out on cards as you go through the deck. It's this high because I played through it. You can play it multiple times to see every card and then reset it. Um, and then my brother got it and we played through it. So I've played it 39 times. Um, I like it. It's a really simple, clever game, but I may never play it again. Number 10 is Augustus, or Rise of Augustus. It was named for some reason, renamed. Played this 43 times, only once in 2022. This is the, the other one with Mysterium and Castles of Burgundy that my wife will gladly play. It's a bingo game, and, and this was nominated for SDJ in the year of Quicks. And uh, what was the other one? Was it Hanabi won that year? I got all three, and I loved all three. It was one of those years where... The games just really sung for me, like literally they sung. And I've played this so many times. It's great. It, it influenced many games that come like like Karuba, I think. Many more bingo games came out after this. Oh, and Ecos, which I talked about last time. Number nine is Android Netrunner because I played it 51 times. It's an LCG that's now quote unquote dead. So I may never play it again, but it was a great one. Number eight is Uno. I've played it 53 times. Of course, I've played it 153 times, but I didn't count plays of Uno before I started counting plays in like 2012 or 2013 or something. It's a great game. I, I don't care. You can knock it. It's not my favorite, but I'll play it any time. Number nine is next. That was one of my games of the year, right? Played it 57 times. It's a game where you've got tiles in the shape of digits numbers and you've got to put them next to each other and on top of each other and they are the face value of that number times the floor they're on the level so the ground floor of your you know building is zero so if you put a nine which is the highest number on the ground on the table that's a zero times nine so don't do that if you can help it 
if you put a nine on the second floor, so it'll be worth two times nine. Great, do that. It's simple, but it's really fun. I love it. Number six is Ticket to Ride. Played that 65 times. Played it three times in 2022. If you added in all the different ones like Europe, uh, Switzerland, Africa, UK, uh, Pennsylvania, or the little ones like New York, Amsterdam, London, San Francisco, I've played this practically 100 times. One of the greatest games of all time. Uh, five is Coup, which I mentioned already. Coup, I've played 75 times. Didn't play it at all in 2022. It's a really quick bluffing game. It's a card game. You've got two lives. You've basically got to call people out when they lie, which they will do, but when? Because if you call them out and then you're wrong, you die. But it's really fun. Number four is Friday, which is a solo game. I've played it 81 times. It's a solo deck builder by Freedom and Freeze. I used to play it so often. Like I've played it nine times in the last two years, but before that, nothing for a long time. But when it was new, probably 50 times in a year. I used to love this game. It's really hard to learn from the rules. It's really obtuse, but once you get it, it's great. Great challenge too. I'm currently on level five. That's how good I am. Number three of my most played games, my H index, is Lupin Louie. Not a cheat. I don't care if it's a two-minute kids game. I've played it 83 times. I love it. It's a dexterity game. I remember one night we used this as the game between games. Whoever won Looping Louie got to choose what the next game we played was. <laughs> Number two is Cities. This is that bright yellow small tile-laying box by Martin F. It came out 2011 maybe. Um, somewhere back there, 2010, I don't remember, from Z-Man or Z-Man. Um, it's a bingo-type game like Karuba, like Augustus, where we're all using the same tiles from similar decks. One gets called, you've got to put it in your grid, and if you want, you can put a meeple on it, and that might score depending on where you put it. I've played it 135 times. I reckon 130 of those are solo. It's a great little solo game. If, By the way, before I tell you my number one, if you want to know more about these games, just ask. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Go to David, hellodavidsgameshow.gmail.com. Uh, number one, I've played it 141 times. Jump Drive from Tom Lehman. Just an amazing card game. It blew up for me in a big way when I first played it. But, I mean, it's a regular game. It came out 2017. So 141 games in, what, five, six years. It's pretty good. 2020, I played it 12 times. 2021, 19 times. 2022, 25 times. And there's an expansion coming out. Yes, after like five, six years, it's weird. Because, I mean, this game would have been dead, really, at the shops anyway. But now an expansion's coming, and I'm super excited. I haven't been more excited about an expansion maybe ever. It's going to add so much great stuff. Those are my games I've played more than any other. Did you have any crossover? It's time for questions and answers. You ask me the questions, I give you the answers. Write your questions to hello david's game show 
at gmail.com. I got three questions from Murray again, and it sounds like Murray's the only person who listens to this show, but if you're listening to this show and you're not Murray, you know that's a lie. So you could ask me questions too and, and help Murray share the load here. He's doing, he's doing all the heavy lifting. But thank you, Murray. He's got three questions. First, I'm quite interested in bag building in games. Have you played any games with this mechanic? Well, I've played Orleans um, a lot, 10 times maybe. I don't know. I could check, but I'm too lazy. If you don't know, that's basically um, you, you have workers that are – cardboard discs in your bag and you pull them out and where you put them on your personal board lets you do different actions but uh you can add more of different types of workers to your bag and you don't know what you're going to pull and it feels like deck building but it's a bit different because in deck building you know your cards are going to come through in this you may never pull it out right so it's more about odds i really like orleans it's just a bit long for what it is but you know what, now that you mentioned bag building and I've talked about Orleans, I wish this is a, a mechanic we need to see more of. Um, I'd love a family weight, medium weight game with it. It seems to have gone away. Another one I've played is Quacks of uh, Quacks of Quedlinburg, where it uses that odds of what you've got in your bag thing by to the max, where it's a big, well, a big feeling push your luck game where you're pulling these chits out of a bag till you've pulled, I think, three dodgy ones, and then you bust. Um, but what you pull gives you different abilities, so you try and go for as long as you can. The cool thing about that game for me was the uh, replayability because you can add in different variants, different different chits, but you can make the chits do different things. It's really clever. It's just, it didn't really do it for me. I think because a push your luck game for me, I want it to be short, not long. And the catch up thing, the catch up mechanic in that game didn't work. So there's a bit of a runaway leader for me problem, but it's fun. So I enjoyed it. That's what counts, right? There are others I haven't played. Um, Hyperborea, I haven't played. There's a couple of others I can't think of, but yes, it's a great mechanic. And I know, Murray, from your other emails, you like solo games. There, There is an expansion for Orleans which turns it into a solo and co-op game. I really recommend that. Um, okay, second question. Have you ever backed a Kickstarter game? Well, I've, actually, I've said a couple of the games I've played in this episode were from Kickstarter. So, yes. If not, could you see yourself backing a game in the future or you don't feel the need to back Kickstarter games? I don't feel the need to at all when, when i was in the industry i would often just to experience what a kickstarter was like from that certain publisher um or i was at least more keen to buy games that way but for me now i don't buy as many games as i used to and i can certainly wait better than i could i don't care about fomo fear, fear of missing out if i miss out i don't know i'm missing out do i like that's what you just got to tell yourself if, if you really want a game but it never comes to you, then so what? You, there's hundreds of other games. I don't scan Kickstarter. I don't think about it. But if through some other means I see a game is on Kickstarter that looks of interest to me, I will check it out. But I live in Australia, so the great thing is most of the time I'm paying as much for shipping as the game, so it's a non-issue. I can't afford it. Um, 
sure, sometimes I'm tempted. I think I've got about three Kickstarters I'm waiting on at this point, but they're all really late. Um, I probably back two or three a year, if that. But when Kickstarter was new to me, like 2015, 2016, I was back in 10, a dozen a year, probably. Um, Kickstarter is a big topic. If you'd like me to talk about it more, please ask. Um, question three, do you have any game ideas in prototype form at the moment? Thank you for acknowledging my background as a designer. I have designed a few games. Um, I don't talk about it because I'm a bit embarrassed. I don't care really about it. It's not like, I just, it's just something I wanted to do. It's just something that came out of me. I don't strive to design. It just happened a few times. But I've always got an idea or two in my head. It's just I don't have the time and energy to bring them to fruition. I have got two games that are done or like say 95, 96, 97, 98% done. Um, you know, good enough to present to someone, to publish them. But I just, it's not in my energies at the moment to do that. One is a pure card drafting game. I love pure games like card drafting. You know, I love Seven Wonders, love Sushi Go, uh, deck building, love Star Realms, just those pure ones. Love, um, what's it called? Dominion. I love it when it's hybridized as well, but I love that. So I've made a pretty family-friendly card drafting game about uh, building a train, steam train basically, which is very sounds very basic, but I think it's pretty clever. I think I, I like it, but will I ever get around to showing it to someone? It's a lot of energy, especially now. So like for me to present that game to publishers I, I've got a couple who I think I would give it to because it's their style but you have to do what videos submissions they might say no it's a lot of time uh, I don't have conventions I'm not in Europe or America I can't just go meet these publishers at, at conventions it's got to be done online it, there's a lot of barriers there if I find the energy, definitely. The other one I've got is uh, that's done is a pick up and deliver game that was based on. It was called Botany Bay because that's local to me. It, that, you're like, what does that got to do with pick up and deliver? I'm just describing the mechanics. It wasn't about picking up and delivering stuff. It was about studying flowers. But uh, I also rethemed that to a surfing game, believe it or not, which took. Not much effort, but um, I haven't presented that to anyone. I think that's pretty cool. Then I've got a few others that are always in my head, but I just haven't gotten around to it. Um, you often get ideas and just don't do anything with them. That's like when I was a writer. So I've, I've had like 16 books put out. People say, oh, how do you do that? All you do is actually do it. A lot of people come up with an idea for a story, but you don't do anything with it. Just like game design, you come up with ideas, but not few people have the energy to sit down, make it, test it, test it, tweak it, test it, tweak it, test it, tweak it, edit, 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 present, 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 package, you know, advertise, promote, 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 get it a home in a publishing house. It's a lot of effort. I'm not saying I'm lazy. It's just that's the difference. Um, I also got 
a couple of comments on the blog. BGG, these episodes get posted on a blog. Um, I don't think I got questions, but thank you, Richard Trout. Thank you, Mark Johnson. I might read Mark's because I was going to reply to his, but I can't type on my phone a long answer. So I was going to, next time I was at a computer, which is now basically three weeks later or something, two weeks later, I was going to reply, but it's been too long. So I'll just reply to John, Mark Johnson, his son, John's son, Mark, now, and I'll let him know on the blog that I replied to him. So if you, I don't know if there's a question here, but I'll just read it. He says, okay. Oh, if you don't know Mark Johnson, he has a great podcast called Board Games to Go, one of the few podcasts I listen to regularly. He says, okay, I was going to send an email, but I didn't write down the address. Oh, yeah, so it's hello David's game show at gmail.com. There you go. He says, I really like the rundown of 2012 games that are still in the top thousand on BGG. That's what I did last episode. Besides being personally drawn to retrospectives like that, I appreciated how you really ripped through those titles quickly, kind of expecting us all to be familiar with them enough to, for discussion purposes. I guess I do that, yeah. I, I, I really want to discuss them, not just – I don't want to spend an hour on each one, especially if you know it. You'll be skipping through the show. But how do we discuss? I don't know. You'll have to ring me. He says, I couldn't help but feel that this time period was when the hobby made a notable shift under my feet. The OG style of game I enjoy so much was sort of fading to be replaced by a new different styles. Minimalist time passes like Love Letter, Strike, and Coup. Big crunchy resource harvest conversion engines like Zolkin, Terra Mystica. And the leading edge of story narrative style, lifestyle big games via Kickstarter. There's no way to date this transition distinctly. It sort of started earlier than that, and it definitely continued later. However, as you read off those titles, I could think to when it felt like some different sort of game started showing up. Okay. So I get what Mark's saying here, but part of me sort of like, this is going to sound so rude, and I know Mark, so he's going to forgive me. And we're just discussing, right? It's just there's weeks between each different person saying things. But I sort of feel like saying it doesn't matter. Who cares? Like, I think there were minimalist time passes in 2010 and 2000. I think there were big, you know, resourcey games too. There weren't kicks, there wasn't Kickstarter, there were huge Ameritrash story, narrative, lifestyle, big games then too. It's just Mark and I and other people didn't know about them, didn't care about them. But now, thanks to social media and stuff, which I'm not in, but it gets crammed in your face. So you start thinking, oh, there's a game I don't care about. There's a game I don't care about. Those people are talking about a game and I don't care about and I want to talk about it, but I don't care. What's wrong? Am I old? No. Mark likes the games he likes. I like the game I like. And, and there are people out there that like minis and, and whatever's. War games, I'd love to get into, but I never will have the time. That, but that doesn't mean I don't like those people or those games. I just don't have them in my head. I don't care in a sense. I don't think time is passing you, Mark. It's just that you're more aware of your not what you're not playing, and it doesn't matter. Don't play it. It's fine. <laughs> I'm sounding really patronizing. I'm sorry. He continues, of course, there are still my style of games coming out then and now, just fewer of them by proportion. That's true. But but is it 
I think the the number again, like Kinesia, as an example, still puts out five, ten games a year. It's just there are more games around it, so you might not hear about them as much. And, you know, uh, stuff like that. I, I think it's that the, the game's hobby is more swampy, but it doesn't matter. You just, I just get compartmentalized the things I don't care about. I don't care about if I, I'm not missing them because I don't know about it. Making me sound like I'm better than Mark. I'm not. I'm just bouncing off his things here. Uh, he says, Takaido is one I never, because I talked about Takaido. Takaido is one I never really took to, but is the sort of game that should be right up my alley. Maybe. I don't know. Like sometimes it surprises me what's up my alley. And sometimes it surprises me what's not up my alley. Sometimes it's little things that um, bug you about a game that no one else sees. And so it's off your alley. And sometimes there's something about a game that you really love, maybe the art style or the theme, the setting. And so it's in your alley when you never thought it would be. Or, or, or it's a dumb, stupid game looking that you hate, but then you play it and you're like, hang on, there's something here. I might put it on the side of my alley. He says, I should close with a question, but I don't really have one. Oh, uh, yeah, this may give you something to talk about next time. As I look back on my own 2022 of hobby gaming and talked about it in my own podcast, yes, he did. It was a great listen. I was too aware of the games I wasn't playing, the game nights I wasn't having. Yeah, I, I guess I sort of mentioned that these are lingering effects of the pandemic i believe i can't like everyone's different some people are still quite wary of groups i'm not partly because i'm a teacher i've been in contact with covid a million times and i've never got it it's been in my house in my bedroom twice in my house three times i've never got it. there's something about me i think sydney university needs to study me my body i might leave it to them uh, so I'm not afraid anymore, which is so cocky, I know. But anyway, uh, anyway, after mulling that over for a few days, Mark writes, I've tried to turn that attitude around, seeing my hobby gaming for what it is instead of what it isn't. Yay, glass half full kind of guy. That's right. Be positive. Oh, he wrote, to look at the glass is half full, yes. And when I did that, I suddenly felt I was channeling my inner David Harding. That is so sweet. Bit freaky. I don't know if that half added full. I don't know if that half full attitude is you exactly, but something about the way you talk about games gives me a boost. Oh my gosh, and I'm giving you full credit for it. What a nice guy. Well, I give you full credit, Mark, for filling my day with sunshine. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey. Hi. Have you found Uncle Craig yet? No. Well, maybe he's just, you know, in the least place you expect. No. Well, maybe he's in the most place you expect. What? Like he could be between the cushions of the lounge or well, wherever you put your keys or he could be, I, I don't know. No, no. Well, then let's look where you least expect. Uh, maybe he's in the shower. No, I'd hear the shower. But he could just be sitting in it. That's weird. Well, maybe he's in the on the ceiling. He can't stick to the ceiling. Or maybe he's in a sh like on a shelf that's been stapled right under the ceiling. You mean nailed? Yeah. I don't think so. Well, what are we going to do? How are we going to find your Uncle Craig? 
I don't know. But if you don't mind, I just got to go to the toilet. Okay. Dum de dum de dum. Yeah. Oh, is that you, Uncle Craig? Yeah. Are you in the toilet? Yeah. How long have you been in there? Like two days. Why? I don't want to have to explain it. Okay, bye. Bye. David's, David's game show, it's cheap, so use it. <laughs>